You are listening to community-supported radio, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd, and I'm Claudio Mendoza. It's time for KVMR's Evening News. KVMR's Evening News airs Monday through Friday from 6 to 6.30 p.m. For their generous support, we'd like to thank Carmen's Garden and Greenhouse, locally owned since 2012 on Loma Rica Drive in Grass Valley, stocking greenhouse frames, coverings, and components, down-to-earth amendments, and IPM products. Open Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Now hiring. K-A-R-M-E-N-S garden.com. Tonight, following NPR headlines and the California Report, we bring you regional weather, followed by two reports from the California News Service. First, a story about a push to include undocumented seniors in Medi-Cal, and then a report on the dwindling Western monarch butterfly population. Closing out tonight's newscast, Paul Emery talks with Steve Baker in this week's edition of Water News. At 6.30, we bring you Educationally Speaking, and at 7 p.m., Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman. Here are tonight's NPR headlines. Live from NPR News, I'm Jack Spear. House impeachment managers are laying out their case for the conviction of former President Trump for inciting the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building last month. NPR's Windsor Johnson reports Democrats are describing his actions as a betrayal of historic proportions. House Democrats say Trump bears a conspicuous responsibility for the deadly insurrection, accusing him of whipping his supporters into a frenzy and then aiming them like a loaded cannon at the Capitol. Attorneys for Trump plan to argue that his words were protected by free speech and that he did not incite the attack. They also claim that Trump cannot be convicted by the Senate because he is no longer in office. The trial gets underway next week. NPR's Windsor Johnston. Alejandro Mayorkas is President Biden's Homeland Security Secretary. NPR's Joel Rose reports Mayorkas, the son of Jewish refugees from Cuba, is the first Latino and first immigrant to hold the job. The Senate voted to confirm Mayorkas largely along party lines. A few hours later, he was sworn in by Vice President Kamala Harris. I, Alejandro Mayorkas, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear. Mayorkas served in several top jobs at the Department of Homeland Security during the Obama administration and is credited with helping to create DACA. The Biden team pushed to confirm him quickly because DHS has not had a Senate-confirmed leader since April of 2019. Mayorkas faces a daunting list of challenges at DHS, including the increasing threat posed by domestic extremist groups and Russian hacking, and an ambitious immigration policy overhaul proposed by the Biden administration. Joel Rose, NPR News, Washington. Federal Bureau of Investigation background checks in January are pointing to an estimated 2 million firearms sales for the month. As Jason DeBruin of WUNC reports, the number of background checks were the highest since the federal program began. Industry analysts say it's possible the insurrection at the Capitol played a role in the uptick. But National Rifle Association spokeswoman Amy Hunter suspects it's more likely a new party in the White House accounted for a larger share of the buying. Whenever people are worried that their firearms or Second Amendment rights are going to be taken away or restricted, they historically have reacted by buying firearms. 
2020 was already a record year for gun sales, with the FBI recording a 40% increase in background checks over 2019. The pandemic, social unrest, and the election all likely played a role in the 2020 buying surge. For NPR News, I'm Jason DeBruin in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Biden administration is announcing a plan to begin sending more coronavirus vaccine directly to U.S. pharmacies. It's part of an ongoing effort to speed up vaccinations, which are lagging in many areas of the country. White House announced the government initially plans to ship about a million doses of vaccine to some 6,500 pharmacies around the U.S. starting next week. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 475 points today. This is NPR. After initial concerns about cost-cutting, it now appears Mexico is on the verge of approving Russia's Sputnik V version of a coronavirus vaccine. Follows early results of an advanced study published in the Lancet Medical Journal showing the vaccine to be up to 91% effective. Researchers say the study looked at 20,000 people. While there was initial criticism about possible cost-cutting by Russia, they said it's now clear the shot is effective. Mexico says the country's health ministry signed a contract for 400,000 doses of the Russian-made vaccine. Former AFL-CIO President John Sweeney has died. The 86-year-old labor leader had pushed the organization into political activism. Even his union membership declined in the U.S. NPR's Don Gagne has his remembrance. John Sweeney led the nation's largest labor organization from 1995 to 2009 after making his reputation as an aggressive organizer with the Service Employees International Union. He took over an AFL-CIO he saw as lackluster and out of touch with members. He boosted political activity and built alliances with civil rights and environmental groups. Still, Sweeney encountered infighting as unions, including the Teamsters and the Yes. CIU broke away, demanding more effective organizing to fight shrinking membership. In 2011, John Sweeney was awarded the Medal of Freedom by President Barack Obama. Don Gagne, NPR News. Crude oil futures prices closed higher. Oil up a dollar and 21 cents a barrel to settle at 54.76 a barrel on the New York Mercantile Exchange. I'm Jack Spear, NPR News. <laughs> This is the California Report. I'm Lily Jamali. As the campaign to recall Governor Gavin Newsom inches closer to the ballot, a new poll shows voters are unhappy with his handling of the pandemic. KQED's politics editor Scott Schaefer reports. After sky-high approval ratings in September, the poll from UC Berkeley's Institute of Governmental Affairs finds Newsom's standing with voters has crashed. Just 46 percent approve of the job he's doing. Less than a third of voters say Newsom is doing a good job handling the coronavirus pandemic, and just 22 percent say he's done a good or excellent job getting vaccines to the public. Still, pollster Mark DiCamillo says despite all that, just over a third of voters support recalling the governor. I think voters here are kind of waiting and seeing how things unfold with regard to the pandemic. Again, that is what's driving a lot of the negativity about the governor. DiCamillo says Newsom's fortunes could improve once more Californians are vaccinated and life returns to normal. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Well, as Newsom's ratings fall, former San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, a Republican, announced last night that he is running for governor, whether in 2022 or in a recall election, if there is one. KQED's Katie Orr joins me now with more. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Lily. So what kind of reviews did Mayor Faulkner get during his time in San Diego? 
Well, his reviews were pretty mixed. Uh, he was mayor of San Diego for six years. And, you know, he won an election in an increasingly democratic city. He won two elections. Um, he got policies passed on the environment and on housing, which can be very difficult, especially in a city like San Diego. But while he was mayor, there was also a large hepatitis A outbreak among the city's homeless population that actually resulted in 20 deaths and almost 600 people getting sick. The NFL team, the Chargers, left the city under his watch. He couldn't get the convention center expanded, though, to be fair, multiple mayors have tried and failed to do that. So again, a mixed record for Kevin Faulkner as mayor of San Diego. Yeah, and Republicans have been losing ground in California. GOP candidates for governor really haven't gained a whole lot of traction in recent years. So why do you think that Faulkner sees himself as being different? So for a while now, he's been held up by the Republican Party as a moderate member who might be able to bridge the divide between Democrats and no party preference voters. Again, you know, taking stances on the environment and increased housing density. But he is in a tough spot, and that is specifically due to former President Donald Trump. Faulkner has opposed many of Trump's policies, but he admitted to voting for Trump in the 2020 election, saying he was good for the economy. And there's a picture of Faulkner standing next to Trump by himself in the Oval Office. And while that might play well with the Republican base, it could really hurt him with moderates and other voters in California who just despise the former president. And you can be sure that Newsom's team will be all over that relationship and exploiting it and making sure people know who Faulkner voted for in 2020. And speaking of Governor Newsom, there is a new poll out this morning showing him in a vulnerable position, too. Is a recall election looking like a real possibility? I mean, more and more, a new Berkeley IGS poll finds that while nearly half of voters still think a recall would be bad for the state, 45% say they would vote to remove Newsom if a recall is held. So I think these results should certainly serve as a warning to Newsom that he needs to turn things around if he's going to stay in the good graces of voters. All right. KQED's Katie Orr tracking it all. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash adapting care. Paint Care, now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. In Southern California, two grocery chains are planning to close stores in Long Beach. It's a move that comes after the city passed a temporary pay raise for local grocery workers because of the pandemic. KPCC's David Wagner has the details. Last month, the City Council of Long Beach passed what it called a hero pay mandate. Large grocery chains now have to pay their workers $4 more per hour for 120 days. Other cities, as well as L.A. County, are considering similar proposals to recognize workers facing increased risk during the pandemic. But California's grocery industry says requiring extra pay will lead to layoffs. Ralph's and Food for Less say they'll each close one store in Long Beach. That's one quarter of all their locations in the city, and they're blaming elected leaders for the closures. 
Andrea Zinder, president of the local grocery workers union, says the decision is an attack on employees. This is hostile retaliation against workers who have been on the front lines since the beginning of the pandemic. Nearly 200 employees could lose their jobs. Meanwhile, the California Grocers Association is challenging the Long Beach pay mandate in court. For the California Report, I'm David Wagner in Los Angeles. Finally this morning, TV, movie, and commercial shoots in the L.A. area have gotten the go-ahead to resume production this week, a month after three industry groups recommended that local production be put on hold because of a surge in COVID cases. KCRW's Cherry Glaser reports. The pause in production came at the request of the L.A. County Public Health Department. The break began a month ago when hospitals were overwhelmed with COVID patients and the county saw daily new case counts top 20,000 several times. Now new cases are trending down and the governor has lifted the regional stay-at-home order. So SAG-AFTRA, the Producers Guild, and the Joint Policy Committee, a bargaining group that represents commercial advertisers and advertising agencies, are giving producers the green light. But the trade groups say they'll be closely monitoring productions to make sure industry COVID protocols are being followed and that workers are safe on set. Meanwhile, the L.A. Public Health Department came out with new guidelines last week for local film, TV, and music productions. Among the changes, they now require COVID testing for cast and crew before shooting starts and at least once a week during production. For the California Report, I'm Cherry Glazer. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, February 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. We hope you'll check out and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get yours. I'm Lily Jamali. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great one. And now two reports from the California News Service. The push is on to expand Medi-Cal to include more undocumented residents. The Health for All Coalition is kicking off its 2021 efforts in support of Senate Bill 56, which would expand Medi-Cal to include low-income undocumented seniors, and Assembly Bill 4, which would open it up to all income-eligible Californians. Dulce Garcia with the nonprofit Border Angels says her father, who is undocumented, has suffered terribly without access to health insurance. When he broke his arm, he was terrified not only of immigration, but he was terrified of the bill. He waited for about a week until it got really, really painful. After the doctor told him, you have to go to the emergency right now or they're going to have to amputate you any longer. Experts estimate that adding all-income eligible seniors to Medi-Cal would cost $80 million to start and about $350 million a year after that. 76-year-old Don Pedro Montes Vargas, speaking through translator Andre Barros, says as an undocumented person, he can't afford to retire. So he collects recyclables in order to pay for his prescriptions for high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and diabetes. He thought he would qualify for low-income services, but unfortunately they gave him a big bill and they charged him a lot of money for his medication. State Senator Maria Elena Durazo says the state's 1.5 million undocumented people, among them 27,000 seniors, should not be forced to rely on emergency rooms. They are the working poor. They contribute $3.2 billion in taxes to fund services like Medi-Cal. Yet they are still denied access to primary care. 
She notes that the pandemic has exacerbated inequities. Latino residents are three times as likely and black residents twice as likely to be hospitalized for COVID compared to Caucasian residents. The Western monarch butterfly population that overwinters in California has dropped to devastating levels with only 1,914 individuals spotted in this year's winter count. They've been declining for decades, but experts say they may have reached an extinction threshold in 2018 when volunteers only counted 30,000. According to Xerces Society conservation biologist Angela Laws, the population appears to be collapsing. It's a 99.9% drop from the 80s when there were an estimated 4 million monarchs overwintering along the California coast. So it's a, it's a big drop in their population. It's very worrying. She says the reasons for the stark decline include the loss of native milkweed habitat, pesticide use, development at their overwintering sites, and climate change. The western population tends to return each winter along the California coast, from San Diego to Mendocino counties, with a particular concentration near Pismo Beach. Biologist Didi Soto also is with the Xerces Society and works with the Natural Resources Conservation Service to help farmers and ranchers plant pollinator habitat on their land, mostly native milkweed and nectar plants. The rangelands are particularly important for monarchs because the habitat is more so protected from these heavily developed areas and areas where there's a lot of pesticide use and habitat degradation. People can help the effort to save the monarchs by reducing pesticide use in their yards and planting monarch-friendly plants. For tips, check out SaveWesternMonarchs.org. In addition, the Endangered Species Coalition is asking supporters to write letters to Congress urging lawmakers to pass the Monarch Act, a bill that would provide funding for projects to save the species. For California News Service, I'm Suzanne Potter. And now for the weather. In the Nevada City Grass Valley area, tonight mostly cloudy with a slight chance of showers before 4 a.m. and a low of 36 degrees. Tomorrow, a slight chance of snow showers before 10 a.m. and then mostly cloudy with a high of 42. In the Tahoe Truckee region, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 20 degrees. A winter weather advisory is in effect until midnight tonight with additional snow accumulations of 2 to 6 inches expected near the Sierra Crest, mainly above 7,000 feet, with up to 2 inches possible down at lake level. Tomorrow, a 40% chance of snow showers, mainly between 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., then partly sunny, with a high near 31. For the Sacramento Woodland area, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 39. Tomorrow, a slight chance of showers in the morning, then partly sunny, with a high near 54 degrees. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Well, welcome to KVMR, Steve. The last week of January 2021. How many years have we been doing this? You know, I would guess probably maybe seven years. It's been a long, long time. It's been a long time. Yeah. 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 Well, so always a pleasure talking to uh, you. I enjoy it. 
Well, Steve, okay, our country is uh, really uh, now getting into the Joe Biden era, which obviously <laughs> right. is quite different from an environmental perspective than the Trump era. Uh, what has changed the most for Californians, for example? Well, Paul, one big thing is we're not alone anymore. It's, you know, it's expected that the federal government will now be supporting California a whole lot more than it was in, during these last four years. You know, it's important to remember that California has to deal with a lot of climate change, climate change consequences, right? So we've got wildfires and heat waves and water scarcity, flooding, and, and even, you know, threats to our wildlife. And all this stuff requires attention. It requires a strategy for dealing with it. And, and it requires finances. So the, the last four years were spent opening up drilling leases off our coast, backing off of protected habitats for, you know, selected species, and, and then easing, easing off some of the efficiency standards for showerheads. You know, these are just a few of the things. So now is, is quite a bit different. President Biden is signing a lot of executive orders as we speak, one of which is to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord and to realign the nation with California's ambitious environmental climate agenda. So a lot of changes are happening as we speak. Of course, whether those changes are good or bad does depend on your political perspective. <laughs> that's true, and that's where the, the, the conversation must continue throughout the whole process. Uh, so what are some of the positive changes, in your view, being made by President Biden? Okay, uh, well, I mean, first of all, he is assigning environmentally-minded staff to issues of climate change and the environment. Okay, so here, here, here's an example. The head of the EPA uh, is going from this guy by the name of Andrew Wheeler, who worked as a lobbyist for the fossil fuel industry, to somebody else. It's now going to Michael Reagan, who is, uh, has been the secretary with the North, Calif uh, North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. Okay, somebody who has actually experience, who has a similar uh, desire as far as the focus of the of the EPA. Let's see. Joe Biden's also reinstating science in decision making. That's it's really important to do. We need to be transparent, and it wasn't transparent in the last four years. So the EPA is now required to make sure that all data used for scientific studies is made public. You don't just blindly make your statements without the supportive information out there. Uh, President Biden is also boosting vehicle efficiency standards. And, of course, that's a direct reduction in generating greenhouse gases. Okay, so that's, uh, that's a good thing, and, it, and that will continue. Uh, he is also halting new oil and gas drilling on federal lands and over water. And so I'm talking about offshore drilling for us here in California, at least one of those locations. Uh, imagine, you know what it's like looking off the coast of Orange County and L.A. County and Santa Barbara and those, those areas. He is, uh, President Biden is reducing pumping in the Delta. Uh, large uh, criticism regarding scientifically flawed analysis was really behind the Trump administration's decisions to allow more water to flow out of the Delta and towards cities and farms. So it's not about preventing water from where it's needed, but it's recognizing the downside of conveyance using good science. That's really what he's changing. Steve, uh, uh, on that on that same topic, uh, uh, Trump did open up uh, California coastline to oil drilling. Did they actually drill any new wells, as far as you know? I I don't know. I haven't checked, but uh, drilling new wells takes time to prepare for. So I would assume that it may be maybe not. But again, I do not know the answer to that. 
Well, Steve, you mentioned Biden is in support of restricting water from being diverted from the Delta. Now, isn't that water really needed by cities and farms? Oh, it is needed more in some years than others. Absolutely. Uh, there are difficult decisions. Uh, these, these these are difficult decisions because restricted water use is required that everyone that's receiving that water really has looked previously at the critical needs that they have. Sometimes the inefficient use of water or the extravagant uses of water aren't worth putting a stranglehold on the ecosystem. And uh, that stranglehold can be suffered by the ecosystem through poor water quality and low water flow. That's what's happening in the Delta. So every decision requires balancing the benefits of all the physical uh, stakeholders with the negative consequences. And then if you view that, all that information as one would view a balance sheet, if you evaluate it in that way, then we can arrive at what would be most reasonable in any conveyance coming from the Delta. Water is everything to the animals and habitats in the Delta. That's for sure. That is everything for them. So the biggest question is, what's the magnitude of negative consequences to the environment that are acceptable in our decisions? That's, that's it in a nutshell, and it's a very difficult question to answer. We know that us, like the people, we, we have a water print just like all the other critters out there in the world. And uh, for each of us, it's very important. So when there's not enough water in the natural system, how do we share the pain? Okay, that's what we look at. The environment is very resilient, that's for sure. But it does have its limitations. So this conversation about the Delta should be going on well past the Biden administration. It's an ongoing conversation. Yes, it is. Steve, thank you so much. Look forward to talking with you next week. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. I'm Paul Emery. That's our newscast for tonight. If you'd like to hear it again, you can do so at our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay tuned. Coming up next, Educationally Speaking at 6.30, followed by Democracy Now! with Amy Goodman at 7 o'clock.